Hey, you are tuned into the Unprofessional Professional, where I'm the professional. And I'm the unprofessional. And we delve into important topics from both sides of the desk. Hello and welcome to episode four of the Unprofessional Professional. Um, so far we've talked about our own personal school environment and experiences, our favorite teachers, lessons, what made school worth going. We dealt into writing and questions that I had about that. We dealt into media literacy, which was a fun episode with different generations spanning across. Um, now we are in episode four and I'm excited for this. And this is gonna be the Fetcho episode. Um, where we talk about Bob Fetcho's book, Is This English? And the reason why I didn't want to, I mean, I did weave it into some of the past episodes, but not like too explicitly. And the reason why I wanted it to have its own um, episode is that I just find so much value in it. And I just feel like it can be delved into in its own right. And so, you know, we talked about all these things that, you know, episodes one through three we're on this episode now and it's like where does all this happen where does media literacy happen where does writing happen well it happens in the inquiry classroom it happens in the classroom that has a question at the forefront or that allows its students to ask questions all their own to do research all their own and explore things of their interest um and so i want to get started with did you ever do that in your classroom? Oh. Had like a question at the forefront that you guys explored? Was it more rote? Were you able to kind of go off on your own and research and or just incorporate things that you liked? Uh, I want to say yes, but it wasn't nearly as refined as we've talked about, <clears throat> for sure. Like, um, it was definitely in like early stages, if, if it was anything, I... Once again, I, I was kind of a fever dream because I, I wasn't very grade-based. So in, in the classroom, a lot of things just kind of went over my head. But there were a lot of things where it wasn't so much that... It wasn't so much that we were just being lectured at. There were a lot of... In, there, there was a lot of inquiry and, and questions being asked. But it wasn't so... It was kind of a mix between both a lot of times. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Honestly, same. I agree with that. <laughs> and so... I, I, I guess I wanted to make this the inquiry classroom episode because this really helped put it into definition for me. Like I, through all the years of schooling that I've had where I've needed to be told how to do things, I just feel like I need some sort of definition to bounce off of and to like roll with in order for my classroom to be effective, which I don't know, might be bad, but it's just the way I work. And um, so on page 136 in, in the book is this English. Um, there's a quote here and it says, an inquiry classroom seeks to discern the connections, make better meanings of blurred areas, and probl problematize, sorry, the possible as it nudges all learners toward collaboratively constructed but individual interpretations of what's being learned. So we work together, but we also are exploring things that we care about, questions that we have. Um, we are, you know, engaging with different perspectives and life experiences. We're even engaging with different types of media, different types of, you know, reading, different, even different kinds of like writing together while also working on ourselves as individuals. I mean, that's kind of crazy yeah. to be doing. Yeah. Um, and so something that we talk about often in class is like, 
or, you know, that I've talked about in classes prior is like a student centered classroom, Mm. have your classroom be student centered and that's great. Um, but as much as it can be student centered, it has to be teacher facilitated and guided as well, because I mean, they need some sort of direction. They need some sort of help. You know what I mean? They need someone there with them who they can at least look to, to at least engage with. You Mm -hmm. know what I mean? And so there's this quote, um, again, on page 136, where it says, "Um, I instead try to see my classroom as learning-centered, one where teachers and students continually are working out their roles and degrees of responsibility. So as much as it is a student-centered in a student-led classroom with student choice, student experience at the forefront. It's also me doing my part. It's also me learning as well. You know, um, being a teacher who learns, who doesn't have all the answers. And that's so important is that I don't know it all. And, I, and I'm here to learn as well um and so on page 55 we kind of touch on that where it says to start teaching and learning roles are being shifted for at least at this moment the traditional teacher role as the seat of authority and information giver and the traditional student role as passive receiver of knowledge has been put aside so there's no more like i'm giving you everything i know now it's reciprocal you give me your experiences and what you know i give you my experiences and what I know, have you ever done that in class where you've ex- maybe ex- like your teacher learned from you or mm-hmm. like something that you said was like mm-hmm. used in class or something? Um, well, uh, let's see. Um, I remember senior year English class, like uh, well, all my English classes kind of tend to be that way from my recollection. Like I never was lectured in English class. It was usually science or math, things like that. But senior year of uh, English, um, we were given the opportunity to take two songs and to do a project with them that we, we did in class. And so it was, you know, we, we were able to, and they explain it to like, they explain, like connect the book to the song, but mm-hmm. like the, all the songs ended up being very personal to us as the individuals, which that sounds awesome. it, it was a lot of fun. Do you remember what you chose? Um, Aquabat. So two Aquabat songs. <laughs> I did, um, My Skateboard <laughs> and Pizza Day. Love and it. I think we were comparing it to or. Nope, not ordinary people. Nope, it was something else. Hmm. But still, I mean, the fact yeah. that you remember bringing in something that you like to connect it to what's going on in class. Oh, yeah, I mean, like, like line for line, lyric by lyric, so. Right. And we're going to touch on that in the next episode. Episode five, our final episode, <laughs> is going to be um, about, sorry, sorry, sorry. It's going to be about James Paul G. Um, and how people learn. And so I'm really excited to delve into that. Um, that's really interesting, though. Yeah. That you were able to kind of bounce back and forth these ideas that you put in what you learned, mm-hmm. you used it in class, mm-hmm. you listened to each other. It, again, that definition that we went over on 136 is, you know, collaboratively learning all together, but still individually making meaning yourself. Mm-hmm. So making meaning in class, right? And this comes from so many and there's so many avenues that you can take making meaning. Um let me see the one thing page 33 we learn best when allowed to make meaning for ourselves um i see like you just said i really love that but that also connects to page 41 in this book which 
Let me see here. Okay, this quote I loved. So we learn best when we move beyond extrin extrinsic reward and instead develop a sense of intrinsic motivation for learning what for whatever learning we seek. What enables this shift towards intrinsic motivation is our developing a sense of purpose for the activity and then using feedback gathered through both reflection on and outside observation of ourselves involved in the activity. So it has to come from beyond just like getting a grade mm -hmm. or like whatever like extrinsic like reward mm -hmm. and I like how he uses reward and motivation like there's mm -hmm. a difference between getting like a pat on the head and then like having somebody next to you kind of like going through it trudging mm -hmm. through it with you mm -hmm. and just like as a teacher like yeah like yeah. <laughs> Makes That's sense. so important for me. Of course. I want to do that. I want to be side by side with mm -hmm. my students and going through it with them and finding that sort of intrinsic motivation. What's going to mm -hmm. keep them engaged in class? What's going to keep them wanting to go? You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Feedback from their peers, collaboratively working, you know, finding that sense of purpose, whether it be something that you bring to the class or I don't know. I don't know what it is. <laughs> and I'm learning that. Um, I don't know. I just thought that that was super interesting, too. Mm. Um, something that I also wanted to touch on that was in this book that was super important to me was specialist language. Mm. And you had a tidbit on that. Yeah. With your gram. Of course. Yeah, of course. So um, I, uh, my, my maternal grandmother, she at least was a uh, fifth grade teacher for her whole career ever since before I was even born. So it was really special because... At one point, they closed down her school, and so they integrated um, the two school districts, and it intersected with mine, and I ended up becoming her pupil for their first year at this particular school, and, and I went into it that summer helping her prepare her class and listening to conversations, and ended up even watching her uh, go through her, her master's, because it was at that point where they changed the, the regulations and where she had to go back and get her master's. Um, and so I was, you know, there for a lot of conversations with her. And then I was going into the school year thinking that I was going to, you know, I'm going to be the cool guy. I'm going to skate through and get through. And like, no, not at all. I was I was actually given a harder time because, you know, just from her expectations of me. But what that gave me that whole year experience was that I garnered a lot of specialist language of these things and had a really deeper understanding of the education system and the and the 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 pros and cons of things that were going on and a lot of the changes mm -hmm. so i was and have kept on to that and kept those conversations going even until now with with, with you yeah you know so i I've, i'd come in i've come into this with a i guess kind of a, a, a bonus knowledge ahead of time and you mm -hmm. know just had a, that basic understanding of the kind of the behind the scenes thing and it's kind of helped me guide my thoughts my opinions and some of the yeah. conversations i've had with other people which again and i talked about in episode three it's like and I think I called it the lucky ones of my brothers and I. Like, you're the lucky one. Like, you're that's privilege. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. that's privilege right there. The yeah. fact that we have the language to be able to know... You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. yeah, be able to kind of not know how to work the system. That's well, not what I'm it. saying. But, yeah, like how to navigate. We know the education system... Um, you have a sense of trust in the education system mm -hmm. because your grandma worked mm -hmm. in the, I work in the education system. Mm -hmm. So you have a sense of trust 
I think about, um, there's a quote in here. I don't know what page it is, but there is a quote in here. And he um, talks about how a lot of like black kids, like they value education. Their families want them to be excellent and value education, but they do not value the school system. There's no trust built there. They don't know where to implement their voice. They Mm -hmm. don't feel like they have an identity in the system. Mm -hmm. And it's it's just wild mm-hmm. and it's just i want to just say right now that yeah, i we me and logan absolutely recognize our privilege in that and that we know that it's not for everybody mm-hmm. i do want to continue on this so we are going to take a brief little musical intermission here and i want to come back i'm going to talk about more about um specialist language and kind of like in the avenue of power codes and what that means for institutionalized power what that means for minorities um and then i want to finish it out with threat and what it means to have, have feel a threat in the classroom and how to kind of navigate that what that means and why it's so important for me to bring up in this podcast we'll talk to you in a second stick tuned stick around (laughs) stick tuned stick around (laughs) all right we are back um and okay let me start with this i feel like topics of who is in power are so big right now like I feel like they always have been but I feel like with like the rise of social media and this election and just like all the crap going on the talk of who's in power is a really big deal yeah I mean like in education it always has been from my recollection too is being younger from the students too because that's like that's like kind of where like these like this notion of like social justice kind of has always been rooted in because that's where most kids have been able to come together talk about things bring in these mm-hmm. these outside topics and bring it to the teachers uh, specifically i remember um uh social studies classes where uh, uh students would bring things up that they'd learn from the news or these things and stuff so but now with social media like you said it's definitely broadened and become basically uh, table like dinner table talk I gotta tell you that has been so different f- for me because I was raised you do not question authority mm-hmm. like that gets you into trouble mm-hmm. um, especially not school especially not law enforcement you yeah. don't question you shut your mouth and whatever you get you get like I read this book I think it was unequal childhoods I think mm-hmm. that that was the title and it was just talking about poor kids poorer black kids the way that child rearing is is so much different than middle class mm-hmm. parents yeah. and what they value and just like like the classes and what they value are just so different mm-hmm. not that i'm not talking about values like if you're nice to people or not i mm-hmm. mean like um like um their education mm-hmm. like their education is different whereas yeah. like um like poor kids learn how to entertain themselves more middle class kids get mm-hmm mom and dad time they get that reading time mm-hmm. i didn't have that i was poor my mom yeah. was a single mom and i didn't have reading time with my mom i had to entertain myself yeah. and it was yeah. much different for me this power code than mm-hmm. i'm sure it was for you yeah it almost even bleeds out like what i talked about in past episodes where like sweet home was very um goal their goal was oriented around retention versus clarence being like uh, getting them to college and getting like their qualitative yeah. Uh, standards up like it, mm-hmm. it it's it's like it re- directly reflects in the school's goals as well mm-hmm. exactly and 
I didn't really see it until I got into um, higher level classes like AP and IP. Mm-hmm. I started to go, oh, wait, freedom is, looks a little different when you have access to knowledge mm-hmm. of those in power. Yeah. And it's interesting and for me. And the vernacular, yeah. Yes. Which, Bob Fetcho questions. Um, so we have page 19. I just love this book, by the way. Can I just say separately? Mm-hmm. I'm so glad that I bought this book and that we have it. Like, I definitely feel seen and feel heard from this book. Um, sure. Yeah. So he was talking about, uh, he says how he didn't know for himself what it meant to grow up black in white America. Um, mm. And so he continues on with, quote, In addition, in coping with issues of dialect, I had for some tra- time tried to provide situations that allowed my students to operate in the classroom in both home and power codes, the languages, values, and conventions in their families and of the mainstream, respectively. Mm. Um, so he valued, that's a big word, that I definitely... We talk a lot about, like, our teacher identity, like mm-hmm. our teacher groove, like our thing mm-hmm. um, in this class. And I definitely want to value my kids, but I also want to set them up for greatness and let them have some of the same opportunities and access the same things as those who might have come into contact with those opportunities, like, younger, mm-hmm. if that makes sense, or, mm-hmm. like, or like came into contact sooner because of their privilege, like, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. I want to give that to all of my students. And I feel like oftentimes schools put posters all around the school with diversity and mm-hmm. this and that, and, you know, education for all, but mm-hmm. it's really not true equitable yeah. education and opportunity and respect and value for mm-hmm. all. Um, and I want to do that. Mm -hmm. So I want to take what they learn at home, their cultures, their race, their language. Mm -hmm. I want them to bring it to the classroom, but I also want to equip them with what they're going to need to be able to, I don't want to say go toe to toe with, Mm -hmm. I feel like ice cube. (laughs) (laughs) I don't want to say go toe to toe with, but kind of, because it is sort of a boxing match with education when you are brown, Mm -hmm. when you are black, when you are poor. Well, you know? exactly. I, I do, and it's interesting that you do bring up like that antagonistic kind of language into it too. Because in reading the prison school, um, I just came across the, these sections where it's talking about how um, a lot of these punitive rules and things like that really disenfranchise and really a- attack minorities and 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 push them out. Like this new term, instead of like dropout, it's it's a push out where the system or like the administration literally pushed out one. Like they can manipulate the school demographic dynamic. Because they could push out those that they didn't really approve of that were um, even being, quote-unquote, willingly defiant versus just, you know, whereas in a more affluent student or group, mm-hmm. they would just be being rowdy or such and such. So it's like, yeah. um, you know, they really, and especially in those, like, minority-based schools, there's a lot of problems with that antagonistic type of punishment and, and things like that mm-hmm. and, and dynamics of it. Yep. And when we talk about valuing and specialist language and things like that... Um, he talks about in here like oh it goes along with that i just i don't want to lose it I know. um he goes along with that hold on um yeah he okay sorry yeah he talk he talks about um one of the one of his students i think it was a girl and she was talking about well who makes up 
what's correct mm-hmm. who makes who makes up what's acceptable why can't my black vernacular english mm-hmm. be an acceptable form of getting out my point yeah like what what is that mm-hmm. and it is crazy what we value and who it's for I talked a little bit about this before, but it's like, it definitely is gatekeeping. Mm -hmm. And there was this Facebook post that I shared because social media is like seriously everything. (laughs) And there was this Facebook post that I shared and it was like academics gatekeep specialist language Mm -hmm. to like keep out those who aren't of power Mm -hmm. or to make sure that they crawl, scratch, bite, bleed their way to prove that they're worthy of mm-hmm. of being in the academic realm. It's like yeah. it's ridiculous. It's, like it's an old tradition. Yeah. Yes, and so he continues on. Um, I'm sorry, page forty eight to continue on with this idea. Um, he talks about um, maintaining their culture and what they bring to the classroom, their heritage, cultures, family backgrounds, social identities, and the like. Quote is to place additional imp- imp- impediments in the way of learning those mainstream codes um furthermore and a point often forgotten by conservative educators who cite her work delpa insisted that students whose cultural culture and language differed and then he goes goes on and on and on um to how we access and critique power codes while celebrating home codes Mm -hmm. so i think it's also having access but also being able to have them use their voice to critique it Mm -hmm. without seeming like they're being what do you call that? Like contentious. Oh, yeah. I feel like when brown and black students question their surroundings and finally start to realize, oh shit, I'm kind of being like oppressed. Mm-hmm. We tend to do the whole, um, you're being contentious blame game thing. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. I don't know if I'm saying this right. Um, you know, it's almost like, because the reactions are going to be so, so strong. I, I can only imagine if that I, I had faced things like that, you know? Um, because the reactions that I had to some of the even more the even though like I'm not a minority or anything like that but like you know saying seeing the kind of the ridiculous things that I did you know face in the education system myself that annoyed me I could only imagine if it was like based off of something that's like something that I couldn't change about myself Mm. you know or something that impacted me even deeper I could only imagine the reaction so it's almost like especially in the beginning things like we need to be able to incorporate that home vernacular with that academic vernacular and allowing them to have that venting space, having that safe space to like come to terms with it and then grow into being able to adapt into the, into that system while also bringing their themselves into it. You said it so much better than me. (laughs) (laughs) That's why you're here. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I I don't have anything to add to that. Like you did. Good job. Thank you. (laughs) But yeah, um, just for reference really quick, that was page 48. Just saying. Um, That's professional. Well, no, your ideas, you, I feel like you could have written this. That was, that was perfect the way that you said that. I mean, yeah, we need to give access while also valuing, while also being able to critique, while also feeling safe. I mean, and when we talk about black and brown students, I feel like it's this, like, we need to do this, we need to do that. Like, it almost seems like, kind of like this, like, heavy loads on us. But with yeah. white kids, it's like, almost just... That's it. It's yeah. not really like a conversation we need to have. Like we're like giving food or something. It's, it's like, yeah, but it's not like a conversation. Mm-hmm. It's like we just give it to yeah. them. It's not even yeah. we give it to them. It's like almost, it's just, the, it's like waking up in the morning. They yeah. just get it. Precisely. You know yeah. what I mean? I mean 
that's it's a weird tradition that's been passed around into from school district to school district and just over time and i'm not sure exactly where the origins of it are either it's it's a weird nuance and it's i, I hella weird it's really weird um and i and i yeah hmm. you yes yep. okay. i you know and i i really i want to delve more into that and mm-hmm. i and i love what he has to say i love what you've said mm-hmm. um i do want to move on though so that this okay. isn't like an hour long <laughs> um but i want to move on to threat and when Oof. i say that a threat in the classroom i feel like we're talking about like beating children and that's not at all like what we're talking about um when i say threat in the classroom i mean that things are going to be uncomfortable mm-hmm. and i have always because I am very open. I will talk about whatever. I don't feel uncomfortable if people have different opinions than me. I don't feel uncomfortable if a student not argues with me, okay, because there is respect and there is boundaries that I have, mm-hmm. but doesn't agree with me. I don't feel uncomfortable. I feel like we need to have these uncomfortable moments with kids, but a lot of teachers don't want to... Um, push that boundary. Mm-hmm. They don't want to talk about things that could like upset, you know parents are upset what the kids are used to or, or like administrators right but it's like but that's how you learn that's mm-hmm. how you critique that's how you find other perspectives so we have a little a couple things actually here about threat which mm-hmm. i want to find really quick so okay he was talking about when he was with this new school district mm-hmm. they were Working on inquiry, they were working on having an essential question that drove a classroom and they wanted to see how this would work. How would students respond to questioning stuff? What's going to happen? So he talks about his fears a little bit and he says the possibilities um, that he thought of, um, of making some students feel so threatened by world realities that they would withdraw, um, like made him afraid. Mm -hmm. And um, he didn't want to um, take them out of their... Uh, what did he say? Quote, establish mindsets. Um, and he, oh, he didn't want to upset several, quote, several years worth of community building in his classroom. Mm. This is on page 72. And he thought that it would like mm, rattle the cage a little gotcha. bit. And yeah, it's going to. But that's what I think. You have to do it at the right time, right? Yeah. Like, I'm not going to, like, start talking about crazy stuff the first day of school. Oh, yeah, no. You have to build that trust. And I feel like once yeah. that trust is built, you can question and the kids can start engaging in discussion and questioning each other, critiquing, and instead of just inquiry. Now, it's critical inquiry. Yeah. Um, you were going to say something. I'm sorry. Oh, uh, kind of forgot, but... Oh, no, <laughs> that's right. Um, But, you know, you can... From my experience, I, I, I'd seen that, especially with... um my senior year of English class, um, uh, Mr. Johnson, uh, shout out to him. He, he's retired, so I'm sure I can't find him anymore, but, um, he, he had, he had this uncanny way of, like, really saying, like, like, um, uh, like, screw you to the system, and, like, kind of, like, going behind the administrator's back and, like, really exposing us to a Uh-oh. lot of things. <laughs> like, he had Big Lebowski sk- uh, posters everywhere and stuff, and not that he showed us the Big Lebowski in class or anything, but there were some... Uh, he showed us um, smoke signals, and we had a lot of deep, dark conversations about things. And he was just—he was so done with 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 like the system in general. It led to a lot of a lot of these cage rattling, because especially being Clarence with all the affluence and a lot of the the ignorance and things, and um, you know everyone from meatheads to uh, preppy uh, 
daddy's girls that needed to prove themselves that they could be doctors too, you know, from all these things where they're all in their own little channels, but they, you know, we were all rattled so much that we ended up like bonding together in a weird kind of holistic way. Not that we ever became closer friends, but like the classroom itself. The, the I feel like that is the English classroom. <laughs> like, oh my gosh, I need to write that on a poster yeah. and put that outside of my door one day. Like, we're going to all bond in a weird way. Yeah. Oh, maybe I shouldn't put that on. <laughs> That's a little awkward. We're all going to bond in and a then, very strange yeah. way. Yeah, and he would even staple us. Like, the calluses on his palm to shock an ass. He was a strange man. Weird. Yeah, it was strange. But that, I mean, that's, but in talking about all these strange things that Mm -hmm. happened or whatever, I feel like that's where the the threat is that people are afraid to sort of push. And, and, um, okay, so Fetcho continues on. I'm sorry, page 74. He continues on with, um... The threatening classroom environment allows teachers and students to share the ownership of knowing. Mm. And I read an unequal childhood to a separate book um, about like ownership and how like if we don't have multicultural education, if we don't expose, have a safe space where our ch- children, where our students can explore and expose them to things, but in like a very safe, like we're challenging these things mm. way. They won't take ownership of things. They yeah. will, like, especially white kids. I'm just going to be oh, honest. for sure. Real. Like, especially, like, white, not, not, not white privileged mm-hmm. people. Mm-hmm. Like, especially those kids. Yeah. <clears throat> I feel like we need to give them opportunities where they cannot turn away. 100%. Um, he goes on to say, I'm not trying to say that teachers should cultivate threat, but instead <laughs> should recognize that it exists in classrooms where students routinely are required to use literacy to inquire into their world. And rather than, rather than denying its existence, should use inquiry to help class participants transcend threat. Yeah. Let's question stuff. Let's talk about 100%. it. 100%. Um, um, really quick with that, too, yeah. is... Um, a clear example that I'm, I'm re- recognizing now is that when we studied smoke signals specifically, we went through, and, you know, it, um, uh, Sherman Alexie's uh, poem, like, How Do We Forgive Our Fathers, mm-hmm. is, is, a, is a focal point of that movie. And we oh, before we even watched the movie or he implemented that or indicated we were going to watch that, he showed us that poem. And it was almost a weird way of us pre-connecting to the theme of how we could... It was almost kind of like a, a slide tunnel to navigate that thread ahead of time. Because mm-hmm. uh, in Clarence and all these things, like the, the reservation and specifically like that uh, demographic of of Native people, that was so far removed from any of our consciousness and anything. There could have been a lot of uncomfort, but we literally led into where that focal point of where it connected in our lives was first before we even had any idea what was going on. And then as we came across the more challenging aspects and, and, and themes of the movie, we were yes. already prepared. You said it. Yeah. You keep saying the thing. <laughs> I love it. No, yeah. Um, and the one thing that I also really like that he said is that he continues on with threat, with threat not just being about bringing up maybe things that are uncomfortable mm-hmm. or shaking it up a little bit mm-hmm. or, you know, really critically engaging with topics that might be a little difficult. It's not just that. It said if we don't explore things that can be difficult, he says it the best, so I'm mm-hmm. just going to read it. He said, um, educators daily may cause many children of color to feel threatened by silence. Ooh. Right? Are there any right? examples that you've seen of that? Being threatened by silence? Yeah, or even just... All the time. Threat in general. Because, like, I always felt like... 
I always felt like my teachers felt like they had to teach the whole time. Like, if we're going to learn about black people, I need to tell you. And because I'm a privileged person and I don't have the words to say it, I'm not going to. Mm. Instead of, I don't have the words, Rachel, but you do. Why don't mm. you bring something to class? Why don't you teach me? Mm-hmm. Let's, let's, or, or, you know, if you don't want to put all the pressure onto your students of color, yeah. because that's a big topic right now. <laughs> yeah. Like, honestly, I'm exhausted. And I told you this, but like, I've been talking about being black <laughs> all freaking summer. Yeah. Like, I'm tired. I mean, you so, were exhausted before that. Right, I know. And students might not want to do that. So, in, but instead, it's like, it's, if you are a, a teacher who is white, Lead in with the fact that you don't know. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Lead in the fact with, I don't know, but we're going to figure it out together. Yeah. And find sources and that you. do. Yeah, and find sources that do. Find people who are comfortable. And, like, guaranteed, if you talk about it and give it a minute, students of color will, will speak up. Sure. They'll feel like, wow, this teacher wants me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, this teacher wants me. They want yeah. me here. They want to hear me. There's no better way to say that. Yeah. Um, and finally, I just want to end with this, which I thought was significant too, is that um, he says, this is page 146, and then the the, um, the silence thing was on page 88, which okay. is just like, just every time I hear it, it just is yeah. so crazy. But 146, um, learners need their belief structures to be routinely threatened in ways that move them to interrogate those beliefs. Mm-hmm. And the tensions, the tensions in the classroom allowed us to delve rather than retreat. Ooh, okay. Okay. Right? So we questioned. This is, you know, what he said. Him and his students have questioned the truth. What is truth? How do we get truth? Who tells the truth? Who makes up the truth? Yeah. Is there multiple truths? There's not really one truth. Like, there's so many. exactly. And instead of backing off and being afraid... You have 30 kids in the room. They're not all going to agree. That's beautiful. Mm-hmm. Do that. That that's, that's so interesting, too. I don't want to read the same paper over and over again. Oh, my Precisely. God. <laughs> I want to read different mindsets. I want to read different life experiences, different, you know, cultural backgrounds. I want to know what you think mm-hmm. or what you think about what someone else thinks. Yeah. You know, and... This has been a really great conversation, mm-hmm. and I really don't want this to go for like an hour, so I am going to wrap it up with this. I really like this Fetchel book. There's no other way to say it. Um, I really like that I saw myself in it. I really like that we talk about inquiry, and we include all, learning for all, because I feel like when we talk about questioning, it's like in this white world, mm-hmm. and it's like if we're going to question, let's do it. Let's yeah. do it. Let's, let's let's feel that threat for a minute. Let's Absolutely. engage together. Let's collaborate. Let's share our work. Let's write. Let's read. Let's, you know, delve in. Let's research mm-hmm. different things. <laughs> like, yeah. And share it together. And it can be the same question for the class, but all these kids are going to find different things. 100%. And the inquiry-based classroom is so... I mean, I can go on for hours talking about it. And I don't have all the answers. I'm not currently teaching full-time. So I just don't have all the answers. Mm-hmm. I don't have a consistent classroom right now. But I do know what I hope my classroom would be. And it's a lot like Bob Fetcho's. And I just really admire and appreciate him. And I just... Mm-hmm. I couldn't weave in this book throughout the other episodes without having a episode dedicated. So... Yeah. um 
I hope that you enjoyed listening to this episode and thank you so, so much for listening. We hope that you enjoyed this episode um, of The Unprofessional Professional. Again, I'm The Professional. I'm The Unprofessional. Thanks so much for listening about Bob Fatcho.